0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, June 9th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, Think You're Sweet, Mosquitoes Don't, from Axios. And the problem with going barefoot, from Time. Plus, Stronger on the Inside. Info about your pelvic floor, from Health. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Think you're sweet? Mosquitoes don't, by Carly Malenbaum, from Axios. Mosquitoes probably don't think your blood's sweet, but they might like your stink. Why it Matters. Thanks to the warmer, wetter weather, mosquito season could be especially itchy and long this year. And everything from body odor to what you drink can affect how miserable you get. What's happening? Some mosquitoes bite because they need human blood to help their eggs develop. There are more than 3,000 species of mosquitoes, but only a small percentage of those actually bite humans, said Duke biology professor Kei Dong, who's researched what repels mosquitoes. Of those, it's only the females who bite humans. Males don't. And only specific mosquitoes carry viruses, which the CDC tracks. There are several factors that could attract a biter to you. Body odor. Emerging studies suggest chemicals your unique skin microbiome produces can attract mosquitoes. A team of researchers found that mosquitoes gravitated toward some human scents but avoided others, according to a study published last month in Current Biology. Sweat and body heat. Mosquitoes are drawn to carbon dioxide and heat. One study found pregnant people were twice as attractive to certain mosquitoes, likely part of the reason they had overall hotter body temperatures and exhaled more than non-pregnant people. Alcohol. A couple of studies demonstrated that mosquitoes were more likely to land on people drinking beer. Yes, but garlic might keep them at bay. A postdoctoral researcher in Dong's lab ran into trouble when he was doing research that required mosquitoes to go for his hand, but the bugs were staying away. His experiments were not working because he was eating a lot of Italian food with a lot of garlic, Dong said. Be smart. To protect yourself against mosquito bites, the CDC recommends the usual preventive measures. Use and reapply EPA-registered bug repellents like DEET because mosquitoes definitely don't like it, Dong said. Apply bug repellent after sunscreen. Wear long-sleeved shirts and pants and consider clothing that has the insecticide permethrin. Up next, put your shoes back on. Here's the problem with going barefoot. Podiatrists say going barefoot can lead to many painful and gross health complications. By Angela Haupt, from Time. Apologies to the dudes who packed away their all-birds and crocs in order to parade around town with nothing but sweet air between their feet and the ground. Barefoot Boy Summer has been canceled. That's according to podiatrists alarmed at recent reports that people, men in particular, are losing their shoes and hitting the streets, heading to coffee shops, hiking trails, airports, and anywhere else their hearts and souls might lead them. Social media users on platforms like TikTok are sharing videos of themselves and others barefoot in the wild. Be that primal, hard-to-kill man you know you are and start walking barefoot outside, one urges. The trend is even infiltrating popular media. In a recent episode of Succession, Lucas Matson, played by Alexander Skarsgård, walks barefoot on the tarmac before boarding his private plane. I cringed, says Dr. Priya Parthasarathy, a podiatrist with foot and ankle specialists of Mid-Atlantic in Silver Spring, Maryland, describing her reaction when she learned going barefoot was in vogue. You're pretty much asking for trouble, and I 100% do not recommend it for a lot of different reasons. The risks aren't worth it. Research suggests that humans began wearing sandals or moccasins more than 40,000 years ago. And there's a good reason for that. Footwear provides important structural support, comfort, and protection from a wide variety of threats, including sharp objects on the ground, pests, heat, and invisible germs. This seems obvious. So what's the appeal of ditching shoes? For me and for most people, it's getting more in touch with our feet as the foundation of our bodies, says Eric Cohen, age 60, who lives in Sag Harbor, New York. He's been going barefoot in certain situations, like on the beach and while exercising, since the barefoot running boom about 15 years ago, which surely qualifies him as one of the original barefoot boys. This is what connects us to the ground. Everything starts from the bottom and works up, he says. He's not worried about potential harms and says the rewards outweigh the occasional splinter. The movement isn't coming out of nowhere. Grounding, an alternative medicine practice that involves putting your feet in direct contact with the earth, has been linked to benefits like stress relief and better sleep. And walking barefoot on carpeted floors can increase circulation and strengthen the muscles in the feet, says Dr. Miguel Cunha a podiatrist who owns Gotham Foot Care in New York. But he doesn't recommend going shoeless at the gym, communal bathing facilities, or outdoors, especially for prolonged periods of time. Experts speculate that people are trotting down city streets sans shoes more in an effort to look cool or edgy and to show off on social media than to reap any real health benefits. They advise caution to those intrigued by the trend. One of the biggest concerns is stepping on something painful or dangerous, says Dr. Jane Pontius, a clinical professor in the Department of Podiatric Surgery at the Temple University School of Podiatric Medicine. When she first heard about the barefoot renaissance, she smiled because it reminded her of childhood days spent near a lake enjoying freedom of the feet and spirit. With that said, did I have problems? Yeah, I did, she says. I had splinters several times. I had glass in my foot. I had a fish hook in my foot. Even being healthy and young, it wasn't the safest thing to do, she says. Throughout her career, Pontius has removed many things from people's feet. Wood splinters, glass, sewing needles, pieces of shells from the beach— Even chihuahua hair, which is very strong, like a tough fishing string, she says. It's sharp. She worries about hypodermic needles on city streets, stinging pests in the grass, and rocks and sticks on trails. If you step on something dangerous while barefoot, see a doctor right away, she urges. Tiny cuts in your feet can let in bacteria. There are also less obvious threats lurking beneath your feet. You can't see them, but bacteria, fungi, and viruses are common in showers, locker rooms, pools, and anywhere else with a lot of water or moisture. That's why experts suggest always wearing shoes before and after you get in the pool, even though it's a nuisance, and shower shoes if you're in a dorm or gym. These microorganisms can lead to infections that change your foot's appearance and smell. If you have any small breaks in your skin, you're at an increased risk of developing an infection. When you go out in public outdoors, you're walking on surfaces that hundreds of people have walked on, Partha Sarathi says. You have no idea what you're coming into contact with, she says. Most people will detect signs that something is wrong within a few days. If you have athlete's foot, for example, a fungal skin infection that affects the skin on the feet, including between the toes, you might notice dry, scaly, or cracked skin, inflammation that's red, purple, or gray, blisters, or itchiness. It sometimes evolves into nail fungus, which causes toenails to become discolored, cracked, or even separated from the nail bed. Or you might develop plantar warts, small growths caused by the human papillomavirus. In that case, you would look for calluses with black dots that aren't going away, Partha Sarathi says. They could be painful and are often difficult to treat, she says. Ditching shoes leaves your poor feet defenseless. Going barefoot also presents a heightened risk of injury. Every year, people who mow their lawn barefoot run over their feet while cutting the grass. One of the most devastating injuries podiatrists see, Partha Sarathi says. Another risk, falling down, might be less dramatic, but it's still unpleasant, and shoes provide important traction and protection from slippery areas. That's especially true if you're considering going barefoot hiking, an idea that experts universally pan. Pontius has treated people who twisted their ankle or suffered a ligament sprain from walking barefoot on uneven surfaces. Plus, going shoeless for an extended amount of time can alter the biomechanics of your feet for the worse, Kuna says. Over the long run, this could accelerate the formation of bunions and hammer toes or lead to conditions such as plantar fasciitis, shin splints, and Achilles tendonitis. The main issue with walking barefoot is that you put a tremendous amount of stress on the foot, allowing it to collapse, he says. Another summertime hazard, sunburn. Our feet aren't used to being exposed to the outdoors, and we often forget to put sunscreen on the tops and bottoms, Partha says. Walking across hot concrete can lead to burns that are difficult to heal, a particular danger for people with diabetes who might have neuropathy, which means they won't feel their feet burning. They'll also take longer to recover, she notes. Are there any barefoot safe spaces? Not exactly, but there are safer spaces, Pontius says. For healthy people who are not immunocompromised and don't have underlying foot problems, the ideal environment is somewhere debris-free and freshly cleaned. The problem is that even indoors, we can never be certain of what's on the floor. I have people who live in what they claim is a very clean home, and they'll step on a staple that got into the rug, she says. It's so small that you don't see it until it's in your foot, she says. That's also why it's ideal to wear water shoes on the beach. Tiny pieces of shells or coral, jellyfish that have washed ashore, super hot sand, and shards of glass bottles can all ruin an otherwise sunny day. If you're determined to go barefoot, keep an eye on the sand and pay close attention to potential hazards. Pontius advises that everyone practice foot-healthy habits, including checking daily that there aren't any cuts, sores, blisters, or other changes to the skin or nails. If you sweat a lot, bring an extra pair of socks with you to work or outdoor activities. Halfway through the sweaty activity, wash your feet with a cleansing wipe and some sweat-absorbing powder and change your socks. And don't forget to put your shoes back on. A final word of advice for those still tempted by the podiatric version of Going Commando... If you embrace this trend, you better have your podiatrist on speed dial, Partha Sarathi says, because I guarantee you will need it, she says. Up next, Stronger on the Inside. Take care of your pelvic floor and you will likely have less leakage, less lower back pain, and better sex. By Virginia Sol Smith from Health.com. If you take Pilates, bar, or yoga, you've probably heard reminders to engage your pelvic floor, but you may be a little fuzzy on what exactly your instructor is referencing. The pelvic floor is a basket of muscles and fascia that sits at the base of your pelvis, stretching front to back from your pubic bone to your tailbone, and side to side to your sits bones. Without these muscles, you wouldn't be able to hold your pee and poop, or have babies, or have great orgasms, says Wendy Powell, the founder and CEO of MUTU System, an online exercise program. The pelvic floor is very important because it holds everything in, she says. But while the pelvic floor contains muscles that can contract and relax just like your biceps, Powell says they don't need to weight train to be healthy. They need to do their job as a key part of your functional core, she says. Unfortunately, nearly one in four American women develops some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction during her lifetime, according to a landmark study published in JAMA. The most common issue, especially for women in their 40s, is urinary incontinence. We've been conditioned to believe that leaking a little when you laugh or sneeze is inevitable after a certain age, says Powell, and it is very common, but it's not normal and you don't have to put up with it, she says. What's going on down there? In addition to urinary incontinence, pelvic floor problems can manifest as pain during sex, fecal incontinence, or lower back pain. The most severe issue is pelvic organ prolapse, a condition in which the hammock of your pelvic muscles stops supporting your pelvic cavity, causing your uterus or bladder to droop down into your vaginal cavity, which can become more common with age, according to a 2014 study. If you notice that your pelvic floor feels heavy or full, or you experience a bulging sensation, like something is making it difficult to pee, see your gynecologist for a pelvic exam. All of these issues can be hard to talk about, and when we do, we're told to just give it time, says Sarah Reardon, PT, DPT, a pelvic health physical therapist in New Orleans who blogs about pelvic health at the website The Vagina Whisperer. This can feel a little dismissive and doesn't address the root cause of your issue, she says. The most common cause of pelvic floor problems is pregnancy, whether you delivered vaginally or had a C-section. The growing weight of a baby pressing down on your pelvis for nine months, combined with your body's hormonal changes, can put your pelvic floor through a lot, says Reardon. Vaginal birth, which requires these muscles to stretch and relax, can be an added challenge. Scar tissue from C-sections can also exacerbate things. It's not a given that the pelvic floor will snap back into place after a few weeks or months, so damage done during this time can be a factor, even if you had your kids several years ago and are just now noticing issues. There's so much pressure on women to get our bodies back, says Reardon. Many of the postpartum fitness programs fail to adequately address pelvic floor health. You need to rehabilitate it before going back to running and lifting. You need to build your foundation before you can build your house, she says. Still, it's not too late if you did skip over that piece of your postpartum recovery. Women who've never had kids are also at risk for pelvic floor problems caused by heavy lifting, obesity, straining during constipation, or an injury to your tailbone pubic bone or lower spine what to do about it you likely already know that kegel exercises can help but only if you're doing them correctly i'm a big believer in kegels we should be teaching 12 year olds how to do them says mary jane minkin md a clinical professor of obstetrics gynecology and reproductive sciences at the yale school of medicine She argues that it should be standard practice for gynecologists to teach kegels during pelvic exams by asking patients to squeeze their fingers with the pelvic floor muscles. To do them correctly, start by inhaling and fully relaxing your abdomen and imagine your tailbone rising and your sits bones widening. This releases your pelvic floor muscles, a crucial step that many of us skip, says Powell. We tend to clench our pelvic floor a lot because we're trying to pull our tummies in or we're worried about leaking, notes Powell. But if muscles are constantly contracted, they are just tight, not strong, she says. The next step is to exhale and gently engage your pelvic floor muscles by imagining that you're trying to stop a fart, as Powell puts it. Release and contract with your breath five times during the day and you will start to connect to your pelvic floor, she says. Relax and release. Building up your Kegel stamina can help strengthen weak pelvic floor muscles and reduce leaking. But don't worry about clenching or squeezing with your full strength every time. If you were just starting strength training, you'd go for a 10-pound weight, not a 50-pound barbell, says Health Advisory Board member Amy Stein, PT, DPT, a pelvic floor physical therapist in New York City, who is also the author of Heal Pelvic Pain. Shoot for a 50-60% to 60% engagement so you can do more repetitions, relaxing fully between each one, she says. This is especially important if your incontinence manifests as a persistent and urgent need to use the bathroom rather than occasional leakage. That's a sign that your pelvic floor muscles are tight and overactive, like a neck spasm, says Stein. In these cases, trying to strengthen and squeeze can make things worse. You need to focus more on relaxing the muscles, she says. If the DIY approach doesn't offer relief, consider working with a pelvic floor physical therapist who may use massage, relaxation techniques, and biofeedback to retrain your muscles not to tense so much. This may sound embarrassing or uncomfortable. Yes, they have to put their hands down there. But a good physical therapist will work carefully to respect your boundaries and reduce comfort. A skilled PT will work with the patient, and if they are too uncomfortable, the PT will guide them through the internal work and not do it until the patient is ready, says Stein. But I think it often sounds worse than it really is, she says. Your doctor may also prescribe a bladder relaxant or other medication to ease muscle spasms. Strengthening your pelvic floor to reduce pain or incontinence can take time and dedication. But in addition to reducing symptoms, experts say, you'll also reap the benefits that come from reconnecting with this powerful part of your body, like better orgasms and a stronger and more stable core. It's fine to disengage from your pelvic floor during a pap smear, notes Powell, but too many women are doing that for weeks, months, and years because they're embarrassed about the problem. You deserve better, she says. Up next... Should you ever use sleep meds? From Consumer Reports on Health. Many older adults turn to over-the-counter or prescription sleep medications to help them nod off, but sleep experts and geriatricians don't usually recommend them. There's a pretty scary association between sleeping pill use and risk of falls for older adults, says Ronald Chervin, MD. A study published in 2019 in the Journal of Contemporary Pharmacy Practice, for example, found that older adults who reported taking sleep drugs nightly were 1.5 times more likely to experience a fall than those who didn't use those drugs at all. These can happen when people get up at night to go to the bathroom, Chervin says. Instead, consider cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or CBTI, It's recommended by the American College of Physicians and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine as a first-line treatment for chronic insomnia. If you want to take something in the short term while you work on your sleep habits, a small dose of the dietary supplement melatonin might make it easier to fall asleep, says Kathleen Rogers, M.D., A review published in the journal Senior Care Pharmacist in 2021 concluded that melatonin improved sleep time and quality in older adults with minimal side effects. But it's unwise to take it regularly, so first speak to your doctor about how to use it and what to look for in a supplement. And also from Consumer Reports on Health, skip supplements for heart failure. Dietary supplements don't seem to be effective for managing heart failure and may be harmful, according to a recent American Heart Association scientific statement. Some, like aloe vera, blue cohosh, devil's claw, and lily of the valley, may worsen heart function and/or interfere with heart failure meds, the AHA says. And the source is the journal Circulation. An easy mood booster Acts of kindness helped people with anxiety and or depression feel more connected to others than social activities did in an Ohio State University study. The study's test group did three nice things a day, twice a week, for five weeks. Connecting to others is key for emotional well-being, researchers say. And the source is the Journal of Positive Psychology. Also from Consumer Reports on Health, Stand to Prevent Stroke. We've seen research in recent years about the potential health risks of too much sitting. In a recent study of older adults, researchers found that staying seated for 17 minutes or longer increased stroke risk by 54 percent, compared with sitting for periods of 8 minutes or less. This suggests there are benefits to frequent movement breaks during the day. The source is JAMA Network. And finally hearing aids may cut dementia risk. Hearing loss appears to be a risk factor for dementia, but new research has found fewer cases among those who use hearing aids. In a study that included 853 older adults with moderate to severe hearing loss, dementia prevalence was 32% lower among those who used hearing aids. And the source of this one in addition to Consumer Reports on Health, is the Journal of the American Medical Association. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.